Luke 11, verses 1 through 13. Let's just read this together. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him in the middle of the night and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are in bed with me, and I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is a friend, or uh, I'm sorry, he, that he will not give up and give him anything because he is a friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. So in light of that, why don't we pray together here. Father, we thank You that we can come to You in prayer this morning. We thank You that we can come and celebrate the mighty cross and the great and glorious work that You've done there. Our restoration to You, our, our hope in You. I thank You that we have the privilege of celebrating that as, as Your body. Lord, we come with many thoughts on our minds. We think of those in the, in the East Coast that are without power, those that are struggling, those who need food. God, would, would You make Yourself known? Would You just do a mighty work and bring peace to those people and restoration? God, empower those who are serving with supernatural endurance to be able to do the hard work for the millions of people across that, that area that are, that are hurting. God, would You please... Please work mightily. And when it's time, Lord, would You move us to show us what we can do to bring relief to those in need. Lord, we even think of the, the, the upcoming election that's, that's coming ahead of us and, and the way people feel and the anxiety that comes whenever there's election. And, and Lord, our, our prayer is simple. Let Your kingdom come. Let Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, we are, are committed and our allegiance is to You. King of the universe. And so, Lord, may we walk in trust. May we walk in confidence. May our heart not get gripped by loving this world, but may we be gripped by Your kingdom. And Lord, we're confident that You are sovereign and that You are in control. And may we rest there during these times. And Father, I'm just grateful for the privilege we have now of being under Your Word. Lord, teach us to pray that we might know how to pray. And Father, I just commit this to you in, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now we'll see if I can get that in there. Okay.
Can you all hear me still? All right. Well, you know, in our uh, in our home, we're we're you know experiencing one of these these changes with a with a daughter who's beginning to think about college, and of course that's a that's a whole experience as a parent, new for us. And one of the things that we've been doing is looking over these college applications, and and one of the applications that came away from one of the colleges, so it was Christian College, they asked a series of questions that they wanted the. Uh, her to answer, wanted Anna to answer. And, and here was the question that they asked. And this is a good question. Here's the question they, they put on this application. What is the best advice you never took? Isn't that a good question? What is the best advice you never took? I was thinking about that. I, I have an answer to that question. When, when, we were, when I was looking over that with her, I was like, hmm, that's a good question. So, so here's the best advice I never took, and it, and it involved prayer. I've shared this with you from the pulpit, so it won't be a new story, but uh, Frank Drown, the missionary we had here a few years ago, who's, who's in Ecuador with Nate Sate and those guys, and, and I had an opportunity to have a conversation with him, and I said, what advice do you have for me as a pastor? And anytime around somebody, you know, servant of the Lord, I always ask that question. What advice do you have for me as a pastor? Here was his advice. I've shared this with you. It won't be new, uh, but I've never taken him up on this advice. Okay? He says, uh, pray for problems in your life that only God can solve so that when he solves them, you'll really walk by faith. Most of the time, we, we don't walk by faith because we can solve most of our own problems. Now, I've thought about that statement every time a problem's come in my life that, that I haven't been able to solve. And I thought, oh, this is one of those moments. But actually, if you think about it, he said, pray for problems. Now talk about like a paradigm shift in prayer, right? We go to prayer to have our problems solved. I don't go to prayer asking for problems. I have never said, God, pour it on. Make my life so miserable this week. Give me so many big problems that I can't solve them that I'm buried in the ground so that I can see how great you are. I've never prayed that prayer. I don't know if I'm confessing some disqualifying sin, but I've never done that. And I started thinking about that advice, and I was thinking about about how much of a shift that is, and I was wondering why in the world would he give that advice? But you see, I think he understood something about God that maybe I don't fully understand about God. You know, in his life, God was so big and so huge and, and so awesome that, that it suddenly put this world, I think, in perspective for him. Right? You know that old saying that, that you know, the, the bigger God is, the, the less this world becomes a, a disturbance to you. Right? You, you see God in all of his glory, and suddenly you go, wow, you could be like Paul. This is just momentary light affliction. But if God is just like this little guy in your life, then it's not momentary light affliction. It's just the most horrendous thing you've ever been through in your whole life. And, and there's no good end to it. And so his view of God was so big that it shaped the way that he prayed. And, and, and as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, you know, that's a, the reason why I thought about that this week, and especially in, in contemplating that question about advice you've never taken, is I was thinking, you know, I need to know how to pray. I need to know how to pray, not just so that I'll pray, God, bring it on. And please, don't pray that for me. I'll let you know when I get there spiritually that I'm ready for that prayer. And I won't pray it for you either. (laughs) 
But there's something about seeing God that way. Make me think, you know, we need to learn how to pray. And look at where we're at here in Luke 11. A very powerful section here where we get to prayer. And it's fitting in this spot. I can see, I believe, the logic of what, why the Spirit unfolded the truth the way that He did in this, in this great gospel. Because he's, he's already unfolded for us who Jesus is. We've seen that. We've seen that He's the Messiah. We've seen that He's the, the Chosen One. We've seen that He's the Sent One. We see that He's the Sovereign Lord of the universe. We see that we're to trust Him and, and listen to Him and follow Him and, and be all in, count the cost and be all in, and to recognize that, that He's on His way to a mission of the cross that's going to bring restoration to humanity. And we're on that mission to proclaim that kingdom. And that work has to be done in prayer. And so after we've kind of been led up to this whole element of of the kingdom coming and the mission of the kingdom, we now come to a very essential part of the kingdom, which is prayer. How do we pray? And so we're going to see this. And the great thing that I love about this section is this is actually a lesson on prayer. The disciples say, teach us to pray. And Jesus says, I'm going to teach you how to pray. This is how you pray. And so what's great about it is that this this passage is its own application. Listen to what he says, and you'll understand prayer. Now, I don't believe that the Lord's Prayer was intended to be given as a mantra. You know what I mean by that? That we just gather together every Sunday and we say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And we just kind of just repeat it as a mantra. Now, I don't think it's inappropriate to pray that prayer, to pray any scripture. It's all valuable. But, but, but I think that this prayer is intended to be a model. And the reason why I know this or believe this to be true is because when we look at Luke's rendering of this prayer, we only have a few lines of it. Compare it to Matthew's version, and you get the whole deal, right? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. All the way through. What does Luke give us? Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us their daily bread. Forgive our sin. You know, just the high points. And you begin to realize that, that I believe that these... these, that these Apostles understood he's teaching us how to pray, not just giving us a mantra, because there's a difference in, 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 in Jesus and what Jesus brings to us. Jesus brings us into a relationship with God. Other religions, you don't think about the gods in relationship. You think about them in reference to duty. I bring a sacrifice. I repeat a prayer. I do this. I do that. Right? Jesus is saying, no, I'm bringing you into relationship, and in that relationship, there's communication, and he's teaching us how to communicate. These are the parts of the communication that go into prayer. These are the things that we're talking about and helping us understand how to pray. And so we get this great model of a prayer. Now, I've looked at this model, kind of divided it up into into everything that's here in verses 1 through 13, seeing basically kind of three things that we can learn about prayer. When we pray, we need to pray with God in mind, and that's to be the first thing we'll look at. And then when we pray, we need to pray with relationship in mind. I'll explain that. It doesn't make sense right now. And then when we pray, we need to pray with promise in mind. So we need to think about God, relationship, and promise. Those three things are part of the whole process of prayer. And if we kind of let those things govern our mind, I think we're going to learn how to pray. And what I'm hoping this does is start to transform our minds into seeing 
prayer in a, in, in, in a much deeper way, in a much more profound way. And, and I pray that our prayer gets elevated today as we go through this. So let's look at this prayer here. Let's look at the first thing. Pray with God in mind. Look at verse 1 with me. He says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Now you've got to notice the setting. It says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. One of the unique things about the prayer of Jesus, and you see this in his ministry, is that he would always pray. And it seems as if he would mark out certain places for prayer. The, the appearance we can kind of draw from this is that he would go into a city and he'd say, that's where I'm praying. That's my spot. So he would go and he would pray. So Jesus is in one of those places. And he prayed a lot. So much so that I think it got the attention of his disciples. And what do his disciples say? Lord, teach us to pray. This is the only thing we have in the Scriptures recorded that the disciples asked that Jesus to teach them how to do. Now, we're not suggesting that there weren't other things they taught them, but at least what was recorded is this. Lord, teach us to pray. But notice he says, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. It was not uncommon for the rabbi to teach his students. So we have John, John the Baptist. He had taught his disciples how to pray. They want to learn how to pray. I think they're being motivated, though, by something deeper. They see Jesus' prayer life. And obviously his prayer life is just intense. And so they're like, teach us. So Jesus does. And what Jesus does, and, and what Luke records for us, is he's going to record for us basically three things. Who we pray to, what we pray for, and why we pray. So that's what we're going to get in these, in these, just these short little verses. Let's look at who we pray to, the first thing. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Now the word father that's used there is the word for dad. It's a relational term. Very important to catch that. This would have, I believe, blown their minds. Because the Jews did not think of God in, 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 in an individual sense that he was their dad. They thought of him as being the father over their nation. There were national calls of prayer to God as father. But individually, they would have never approached him and called him dad. That was a very relational term. Very relational term. And what it does is it, it highlights and elevates something. It elevates that father-child relationship. And what do I mean by that? Have you... Ever, when you had little kids, did you ever take them to a museum or a zoo or a fair or something, and, and they go through, or an amusement park, what, what is going on the whole time? Dad, can we get candy? Dad, can I go on that ride? Dad, can we get, some, can we, can we get, can we get one of those ices over there? Dad, right? Just, Dad, can we? Dad, can we? Dad, can we? Dad, can we? Right? It's, it's nonstop. Or just have your kids in your home. There's no safe place for, from a question. You can't even go to the bathroom without... Dad? I got a question! Right? Sorry, I know it's inappropriate. But, but that's part of the sermon, okay? Why? Kids have no inhibition. Dad? Mom? He's pulling on that image. When you go to him... Go to him. He's your dad. You have this relationship with him. He has this relationship with you. Do not be afraid of him. 
Do not be afraid of him. You cannot ever annoy him. When you go, don't lose sight that he's your dad. So when you pray, it begins with a relationship. It begins with a relationship. It really does. But, as all parents will say, or should say to their children, you can approach me, you can say whatever you want, but don't forget I'm your dad. And I mean that in the sense of reverence. You can say what you want, but say it respectfully. So we say, go to him, Dad, what he says, hallowed be your name. So that's saying, Dad, may you be set apart as the most glorious, distinct person in the world. May you be reverenced. That's what hallowed means. Set apart, reverence in a completely different place. A state of honor. And so our prayer is governed by this, these, these unique extremes. On the one hand, this relationship with God. But on the other hand, this sense of reverence that He's to be set apart in a, in a place of honor. And it's interesting because I think those two worlds collide sometimes in our lives. On the one hand, we can kind of fall side of just the relationship side and kind of it's all relationship and then God has no distinct place in our life. It's kind of like, hey, we could go out for brunch, we could be with God, we could pray, we could watch a movie. What do you want to do? You know, God is just like one of a hundred different choices in your life. Being with God's people is just one of 50 great things we could do. Right? And, and, it, and we don't want to just so put Him down on that role that God is seen like me. It's just another person. At the same token, I don't want to elevate him so much that I won't, that I won't approach him. That you, that you sin this week and you do something bad and you think, oh, I've, you know, I've blown it. God hates me. I don't want to go. No. I'm going to tell you, he's your dad and he loves you. Go to him. No matter what you've done, go to him. But at the same token, let's not lower him down to where we lose that distinct nature that he's holy, that he is just. He deserves to have a sacred place in our lives. That's why the Ten Commandments say we don't create an image. We don't want to reduce them down to an image. And this is why we, we want to honor the Lord's Day. We want to have a day where we say He's the center of that day. We're going to rest in Him because He's holy and He's just. And we have the privilege of having an intimate relationship with the most holy, just God of the universe. So He says when you pray, pray with this reality that your dad is the God of the universe. And he's to be loved and set apart and honored. Both of those places. So that leads me to just a couple practical questions that I want to just toss in now. Because I think that this is a very powerful section for us. It's a challenge for us to live between those two worlds. It's a challenge for us sometimes to think of that relationship. It's a challenge also to not just all of a sudden reduce God that He has no sacred place in our life. He has no set-apartness in our lives. We're just Christians, but we're just living our lives for ourselves. It's hard to live in that tension. And so I want to just ask you maybe three questions to consider right now as we go through this. First question, do I understand the depth of the relationship I have with God? Do you realize how much God loves you? Do you realize that? That His love is so deep and so profound 
that if you are in Christ, you have a profound relationship with him. A deeply profound one. But second, is God set apart in my life as holy and unique? Do I see this as saying, I am in this just incredibly holy relation? God is just, I have the privilege of being with Him. And nothing's going to get in the way of that. I get to be with God. Or is, we go to the third question, do I spend time trying to justify removing God as holy and unique in my life? Do I justify that? Do I hide behind grace? Do I hide behind, oh, it doesn't really matter, I don't want to be a legalist? Do I hide behind a bunch of excuses that really is just I'm living for myself and I've lost sight of God? I think those are the types of questions that, that this part of the prayer causes us to think about because we want to go to Him as our dad and we want to go to Him as saying, God, I want to set you apart. And in my prayer, I want to go to Him and say, Father, You love me. You're my dad and I'm Your son and I thank You. And God, may You be set apart in my heart and in my life. You imagine praying that way. Very powerful, profound way to begin the prayer. Because that's who we pray to. Now, what do we pray for? Let's look at the second thing. What do we pray for? Simple. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Just get any simpler than that. What is the kingdom of God? We've talked about that. It's the rule of God. It's the reign of God. It's the power of God. It's the glory of God. It's it's, it's, it's God's restoration and reconciliation and judgment. All of that. Everything that God has, all that He is, He's going to bring it to this world. And the prayer is, God, bring your reconciliation, bring your hope, bring your peace, bring your judgment, bring your kingdom, bring your power. Bring it, God. And so what's great about this prayer is that, that, he's, that, that the very first request isn't about us. It's about His kingdom. He's so awesome that He loves me, but He's also the sovereign Lord of the universe. And as such, I want to see His power come into this world. Kingdom-minded praying is, is so huge because what can happen is that we can get kind of locked down and forget about the kingdom of God. Forget about His power, His restoration. Forget there's something more important than this moment. There's God and how God's using this moment for His kingdom. And once you begin to start thinking through that lens, it shifts your prayer. That's why I pray during this election season, Your kingdom come, God. Your will be done. Your kingdom come on. Your peace, Your reconciliation, Your work. You move through the hearts of people. You do it so that Your kingdom would come. Not so that we would just have a great earthly kingdom and have a good ride till we die but that Your will be done on earth. That's a great prayer for God's people. And that gives us confidence. So, who do I pray to? I pray to my dad, who's the sovereign Lord of the universe, should be set apart. What do I pray for? That Your kingdom come. And then now I learn why we pray. Why do I say why we pray? You see, I'm praying to God because I'm dependent upon Him. I'm dependent upon Him for my physical needs. I'm dependent upon Him for my spiritual needs. I am dependent upon Him for my relational needs. And I'm dependent upon Him for my own whole personal holiness. And that's what all this next set of these prayers are for. Look at this. Physical needs. Dependent upon Him for my physical needs. Give us each day our daily bread. 
This is just saying, God, you're my provider today. Now that's a different shift. Harder for us that have a lot of excess because it's, we find our comfort in, in our excess. Right? Very hard to live at a point when you say, give us today what we need to survive. And then I'll get up tomorrow and say, God, give me today what I need. And that's what the prayer is. God, give me today what I need for today. Kind of the manna coming from heaven. You're only getting it for today. Don't store it up. Give me my bread today. What that is, is that is a statement of dependence. I am not looking to my boss to be my provider. I'm not looking to my work ethic to be my provider. I'm not looking for other people to be my provider. I'm looking for my bank account to be my provider. I'm not trying to say, oh, once I get da-da-da-da-da. It's saying, God, you're my provider today. That's huge for all of us, right? That's a good amen spot, right? That's huge for all of us. Amen, yeah, we should be having a revival on that one. Yes, we need that, right? All of us need that. Our comfort gets so caught up in our barns and our storage places and we lose the comfort in the fact that God, who loves you, who's the King of the universe, will provide for you today. You'll get up tomorrow and if He gives you breath tomorrow, He'll provide for you tomorrow. And if we could find our comfort there, then we're living a life of daily dependence. Why do I pray I'm dependent on God for my physical needs? I'm also dependent on God for my spiritual needs. So I can bring my... And you know what's great, by the way, is that I can bring those physical needs to God because He does care. He does want to hear what you need tomorrow. He does want you to get up and say, God, can't make it. God, please provide so we can get through the day. He wants to hear that. Why? If you understood how much He loved you, you would never be afraid to pray. If you could just get a small glimpse of that love, you'd never be afraid. So now, but I also have to go for my spiritual needs. Notice, and forgive us our sins. This would have been another shocker for the disciples. Would have been another big shocker. How were sins forgiven in the Old Testament? You had to bring a sacrifice to the temple. And that sacrifice had to be taken care of. And there's obviously a variety of different sacrifices and things priests needed to do and and all kinds of steps between your sin and getting it forgiven. Jesus is bypassing all of that. He's saying, you can go directly to the Father and say, forgive me. And the Father will forgive you. I can imagine the disciples going, what? What about the temple? What about the priests? What about animals? You cannot just go to God and say, forgive me, and God will forgive you. That is so presumptuous. And it would be presumptuous unless the cross happened, right? It would be horribly presumptuous just to say, forgive me. Yet the cross opens up the door for me to depend on God for my spiritual needs. So that I can go to Him and say, God, I've blown it. And God says, I'm not only going to forgive you, I'm going to wash you, I'm going to restore you, and I'm going to treat you like you never committed that sin. I'm not going to hold it against you. It's powerful. Go with your spiritual needs is what He's saying. When we pray, bring that dependently upon God. But there is no way to contemplate your, your, your spiritual needs without it bleeding over to your relational needs. Notice what he says. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Everything God does in your life is designed for you to give it away. You realize that? 
Every blessing, everything you've been given, every work He's done, He's designed for us to give it away. You realize that? You cannot just think about your life in isolation. God, forgive me. If I can get the understanding, everything is so I can give it away. Therefore, I cannot say, God, forgive me my sin, and then say, can you believe so-and-so over here? (gasps) So angry with them. And I'm just going to stew on it all night long. You can't do that. So what does he say? The most hard, hard words to hear. For we ourselves forgive everyone. You say, but, 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 what about, what about, right? That's when you hear the word everyone, the first thing we want is we need a lawyer to qualify that. Everyone doesn't really mean everyone. It only means the people you want to do it to. No. (laughs) Unfortunately, everyone is everyone. That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be reconciled to everybody. It doesn't mean every relationship is going to go on without it being, you know, unbroken. Somebody might not forgive you. He's just talking about your heart. And he's saying, you cannot receive the overwhelming daily forgiveness you're going to get from God and hold on to it. God, forgive me so that it would just flow out of me and I'll forgive others. I'm dependent upon God for my relational needs. But I'm also dependent on God for one more thing. Not only my relational needs, but my, my personal holiness. I'm dependent on God for that. And lead us not into temptation. Now, you might, that's the only part of the prayer that I think people read and go, what does that mean? Like, if you don't pray that, will God lead you into temptation? Right? I mean, what does that mean? Is God up there going, oh, he didn't pray it. Ah, here it comes. You know? No, it's, it's just a, it's a grammatical thing. It's basically making a statement from the negative. And, it's impl- and the reason why it's made from a negative is it's implying something. It's implying the fact that I am dependent upon God to lead me away from temptation because in my heart, that's where I want to go, right? That's where my flesh wants to take me. My flesh wants to take me to serve myself and to be angry or pursue some immoral thing. My flesh is leading me there, and so it's saying, God, don't lead me there. By implication, by staying in the negative, lead me towards righteousness. I am dependent upon God to lead me, and therefore becomes part of my prayer. God, you could say it in the positive, lead me into righteousness. Lead me into holiness. Lead me into forgiveness. Lead me into whatever I need, because my flesh has taken me down the other road. And I know you're not going to lead me there. Don't lead me there. Lead me back. Because I, my inclination is to go away from that. So it's an honest prayer, acknowledging you do struggle with sin. You do struggle with it. But I need God. I pray because I need God to lead me. Therefore, I need to be honest about my sin. I need to be honest about my temptations. And I need to pray and ask God to lead me and beseech Him intensely towards that end. So there's the prayer. I come to God. He's my dad. I'm acknowledging him as being holy. Praying that his kingdom comes. I'm dependent upon him for my physical life, my relational needs, my, my holiness. That's prayer. Now, in order to understand prayer, we, we, we're going to see two more things. That's praying with God in mind. But Jesus wants to make sure his disciples understand this and to understand the relationship he has. And so, so he leads us now 
into praying with relationship in mind. So he tells this story. Look at verse 5. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. A little context for the story. Things you need to know. This is all based in Jewish customs. All based in Jewish customs. So, in some of these customs you know we've talked about in the past. If someone arrived to your house, you were responsible to provide for them. Not only that, you were, you were responsible to provide for them more than they could eat. So think about that. Someone just shows up on your doorstep. You've got to put a spread out. That was the custom. Now, at that moment, bread, of course, was a mainstay of a meal, like, like it is in, in our culture. And, uh, but yet, not everybody made bread every day, and not everybody had an oven in their house. Most of the time, in little communities, they had a communal oven. And people would sign up for different days to make their bread. So, this story is set in a context that it's midnight. Okay? Midnight. And somebody comes to the door... And the person who now is receiving their friend has to provide a meal for this person at midnight. And in this meal, they have to provide more than what this person could eat. And I think the story kind of lends us to believe it wasn't one of their bread days. So they have no bread. Okay, so context. Put it in our context so you can understand the story a little bit better, maybe a little more clearly. Uh, Picture this. It's 1 o'clock in the morning, and your phone rings, and it's a relative of yours who's broken down on Interstate 88, and they need you to come get them. 1 o'clock in the morning, you would come get them. It's customary. You would not say, you know, it's 1 in the morning, can you wait till 8? You would get them. Now, picture that your car is broken down. So you call me. Steve, sorry for waking you. It's one in the morning. My cousin is coming to visit me. It's broken down on Interstate 88. They're afraid. Can I borrow your car to go get them? Inconvenient, awkward phone call. You would make the phone call, right? Hopefully you would. Okay. Anyone would say no, because I'm not going to call you if I have a problem. Okay. Raise your hand. No, I'm kidding. Okay. So that's the situation. So it's awkward but it's all within the custom of the day. Now, what kind of answer would we expect this person to give? We'd expect them to say, wow. You know, like if you called me at 1 o'clock in the morning, I'd say, sure, you can come get my car. No problem. You would say, I'm sorry for waking you. I'd say, I understand. You want to go get your cousin. You know, would you like me to go get him? I probably wouldn't say that. Yeah, I'd say it. I don't know. We'll leave that for another prayer time. But you'd expect me to give you the car, wouldn't you? So here's the story, though. Verse 7, here's where it takes the shift. And he will answer from within. So he's in his house. So you're, this guy's knocking on the door. I got friends over. I got no bread. Help me. And he will answer. The guy who's inside the house says, Do not bother me. The door is now shut. And they would lock things up pretty tight for security reasons. And my children are in bed with me, which means everybody's all hunkered down. I cannot get up and give you anything. Now, as awkward as this moment is, you you anticipate him actually helping, but he's not helping. He is just being 
downright nasty. Okay. Now, here's the point of the story. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend. Okay, because he's clearly not a friend. So he's not going to do this out of friendship reasons. Yet because of his, and I'm going to give you a different word there than what the ESV has, because of his shamelessness, that's the better word, because of his shamelessness, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Meaning this. If you called me at one in the morning and asked to borrow my car to rescue your cousin who's stuck on 88, okay? Even if I didn't want to give you my car, the first thing that's going to go through my mind is, what will the rest of the church think if I don't give them my car? Right? I better give them the car. Because, you see, the church is going to think, I'm a jerk. He's, this guy's going to ask, or he's going to answer, he's going to give him bread, not because he's a good person, but because he's an arrogant person, and he doesn't want people to think poorly of him. Okay. Now, why tell this story? What does this story have to do with what he's saying? Think about it for a minute. What have we been told about God? He's our Father. And He's holy. And He's righteous. And He's just. And He wants you to pray to Him to bring your needs, your physical needs. He wants you to pray to bring your relational needs. He wants you to pray to bring your your need for holiness to Him. He wants you to pray to Him that His kingdom would come. He's telling you, come, and He's good, and He's holy, and He loves you, and He's your Father. If this guy, who is the number one jerk of the planet, will give bread to someone who's in need, what do you think God is going to do if you pray to Him? You see it? He's arguing from the lesser to the greater. This is why he says in verse 9, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Do you understand? Go to him and pray. If the self-centered jerk can meet a need, what will God of the universe do who loves you? When you pray, pray with relationship in mind. You are in a relationship with the God of the universe who loves you. Pray to Him. Now, we know something about prayer. God is a good dad. I don't give my kids everything they ask for. Right? You can give them a big old piece of cake, and they'll see a bag of marshmallows and say, Hey, can I have some marshmallows? You don't want to say, Sure. You want some gum after that? Let's wash it down with a big old Mountain Dew. You know, right? Right? That would be like the perfect meal for for some of them. But as a parent, we don't... Right? Sometimes no is just as much of an answer as yes. So God answers. But, but here's the reality. Go to Him. Go to Him. Pray with relationship in mind. One more thing we've got to pray with, though. And not only pray with relationship in mind, but briefly here we'll pray with promise in mind. Final thing when we go to Him in prayer. He says, What father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Obviously. Right? He's like looking at these guys and he's saying, seriously, guys, you guys, if your kids ask for food, you'd give them food, right? You wouldn't say, here's a deadly snake, go play with it. You're not like that. 
Okay? That's you guys. You guys don't even get it. But yet you'd give to your children what they need. Look at verse 13. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now we get down to even something much more profound than just my daily bread. Now we're getting to the very Spirit of God. All of these things really, stop and think about it. You come to God, you will get an answer, but you get more than an answer. You get His Spirit. Now why does He reference the Spirit here? Why bring up the Spirit at this moment? Think about what the Spirit does. The Spirit, lots of things, but let me just give you three. Three kind of big categories to think about the Spirit. The Spirit is the promise of God. He's the promise of God. And, and, and as the promise of God, that He will complete what He started in us. The work that He began in your life, He will complete it. And He's saying, do you realize that the Spirit of God is that promise that God is not going to leave you or forsake you, that nothing will separate you from His love. He will complete in you what He began. So when you go to Him, go to Him in promise, realizing you have a Spirit. The promise, He's going to complete it in you. He's not abandoned you. Not only have the promise of God, the Spirit's also the power of God. He's the power. He's the one that allows me to walk in love and forgiveness and holiness and to use my gifts in the kingdom. It's the Spirit that gives me the ability to do all of this. And so when I go to Him and ask for love, I'm not just saying, God, just give me love for people. I'm saying, in the power of your Spirit, let that love that's in you be shown through me. You start praying for that kind of promise, and suddenly it changes. God, let your Spirit put forgiveness in me. He's not going to withhold that prayer. And He's also the presence of God. The presence of God, He guides us into righteousness and away from sin. He's that thing in you that says, don't do that. Don't go there. Shouldn't have done that. Then when you do it, told you so. Don't do it again. His presence is there. He's saying, do you realize something? When we pray, Pray with promise in mind. Pray to realize He will give you the Spirit. And the Spirit is the promise that God will complete it, the power for you to do it, and the presence to guide you as you go through it. That's our Father. And so when I pray, I pray with God in mind, who He is, His kingdom, my dependence upon that. I pray with relationship in mind. I realize He has I'm in this incredible relationship with Him. There's nothing in the way. And I pray with promise in mind. He'll give me His Spirit to do and complete all that He's begun in me. That is prayer. And I believe that this text applies itself. And so the only wise, fitting way for us to conclude, I believe, is to pray. So why don't you just bow your head with me, take a moment, and let's go before God in prayer. Father, you are our dad. You love us. There's a profundity to your love for us that is beyond compare. And so may we never lose sight of that. Even those in this room that maybe had horrible relationships with their own dad, may they they realize that you are not their dad, their earthly dad. You are a dad of love and compassion that will never turn away. But we pray, 
Father, that You would be set apart in our lives in all that we do. That we would see You as unique. That we wouldn't reduce You down to just one of a myriad of choices in our lives. That we wouldn't just start pursuing the very fleshly lust that we've been redeemed from. That we wouldn't run into the things that wage war against our soul, but that we would see You as set apart and distinct And Lord, in the midst of that, we pray that Your kingdom would come to this earth. That Your power of reconciliation, that Your power of restoration would come to the lives of people. That the world would know that You are its King and its God. And Lord, may it come as we contemplate even all the events that go on in world and in governments. May Your kingdom come in and through that. May You use what goes on to bring about Your kingdom. May we not get consumed with our kingdom and our desire for our earthly kingdom. But may our eyes see your kingdom. And may you use us to proclaim that kingdom to the nations. And Lord, we're dependent upon you today for our sustenance, for all that we have. We need you today to provide. And so, Lord, we look for today's manna. Free us from being bound to tomorrow's manna and allow us to rejoice in what You've provided today. And Lord, our sins are many and great and our love of our own flesh is so strong and it wars against us. Like Paul, we say, who will deliver us from the bonds and the chains of this flesh? We say, thanks be to God and Jesus Christ. And in Him there is no condemnation. And so, Out of that promise, we come and lay our self-centeredness before you, desiring forgiveness and restoration. And Lord, that same forgiveness that we depend upon to walk in you, with you, may we give it to others. Lord, free people from the bonds of bitterness. If there are people holding anger towards relatives, towards sisters or brothers or moms and dads, may they be set free today. May they just forgive. May they see the glorious work of the cross in their lives. And may they extend that to others. Lord, may we give away freely what we have been given freely. And Lord, our flesh so strong in the other direction. Our flesh leads us away from that. And so, Father, we ask by the power of Your Spirit, You would lead us to righteousness. Thank You for Your patience. We can't do it perfectly. We're not going to forgive instantaneously, Lord. So please lead us away from our anger and our lusts and our flesh and allow us just to to walk into righteousness. And we come to you believing that if we ask and seek and knock, you will answer because you love us. And you will give us your spirit. We depend on that spirit that we might walk in power. We might stand in the promise that you will complete what you started. You will give us the ability to do this and that you'll be with us. You won't leave us or forsake us and we'll have you in our presence. And so, Father, we pray all of this and it's all through Christ. This would be a presumptuous prayer had not the cross happened and your wrath be satisfied and our sin be taken care of and that Christ was raised so that we could stand justified to be in your presence, blameless, with great joy, offering this prayer to you. And so it's in Jesus 
who provided the way for us to pray this prayer that I pray this. Amen.